to the Clemson Podcast. I'm Cody. I'm joined by Sam, and we're going to discuss hoops, uh, where we go from here after the uh, announcement from Zion Williamson that he's attending Duke, uh, Dante Grantham's ACL injury. But we also, on, on, on a broader side, we want to talk about the football team getting the big four back. That's Mitch Hyatt, Cleveland Farrell, Austin Bryant, and Christian Wilkins. So we're going to talk about 2018's national championship hopes and, and what that's going to look like. But first, let's start with round ball because it's it's basketball season. We owe, we owe Clemson basketball this much, I believe. And not to start on a bitter note, but Zion Williamson, it's it's the most heralded recruit that Clemson's been in the hunt for in quite a while. And we should have landed him in the 11th hour. Duke sweeps in, takes him right from us, kind of the way that we do sometimes in football, the certain recruits. But Sam, just... I mean, you can react to the, you know, kind of your emotional reaction. I know, I know it's stung, but like, what's your thoughts on Zion Williamson? Um, I guess turning, what, what? committing to Duke instead of Clemson. I mean, <laughs> he he went to the dark side. Obviously, uh, there's an appeal to the dark side, as always. There's that's why it exists. I think that for a lot of Clemson fans, they'd sort of bought into the hype that there was a really good chance we were going to land him, and when he announced he was going to Duke, of all places, it stung, right? Uh, the the last six schools that he had in contention were Duke, Kentucky, UNC, Kansas, so really, really major blue blood programs, and then hometown teams in South Carolina and Clemson. And the all the projections were leaning either towards Kentucky or to Clemson. That's what I was seeing the week before, and people were really heavily leaning Clemson. So for him to go to Duke was pretty surprising. Yeah, with his dad stepped in, his dad or stepdad, excuse me, went to Clemson or played for Clemson as a mm-hmm. basketball player. Had said that Clemson was in the lead, and some people say it was a half mile lead. I think there was an article that said there Clemson literally had yep. a half mile lead. Last minute, he swoops in. Uh, Coach K swoops in, I guess, and stills him right up. And you know. We could talk a little bit about Duke. Um, I'm, I follow Duke. I used to be a big fan, not so much anymore. Um, but we could talk about kind of the, what they've done in college basketball. It's very similar to what Kentucky did years before. Kentucky's still doing it. I think mm-hmm. Duke's doing it better, which is just taking, point, yeah. taking the best of the best, the top five, top ten players in the class, stacking on the same roster. One and done, they're off to the NBA the next year, and then they, they do it again, rinse and repeat. Um, it's not great for college basketball. Certainly not great for Clemson in this case. Definitely not. Uh, so Zion Williamson is either the number one, number two, or number three recruit, depending on which list you look at. Um, but Duke got number one, R.J. Barrett. I'm going to go with Zion at two for the list that I was looking at. Uh, Zion Williamson at two, Cam Reddish at three, and uh, Trey Jones at eight in their class. They have a four-person class for 2018, and they're all in the top eight. It's the first time in recruiting history that the top three have all gone to the same team. But it's the second year in a row that Duke has had three of the top five. So to your point about Kentucky doing it, the, the days of Anthony Davis and Marcus Cousins and you know the really, really highly ranked guys going to Kentucky first, Duke has taken that spot. The last couple of years, they've just dominated the recruiting trail. Yeah, and let me, let me speak to Duke for a second. Everyone thinks, and I'll speak to one and dones in, in, in totality, Everyone, I think their value for a roster, for a college roster in one given year is well is way, way overstated. Even Zion Williamson going to Clemson. I think people way overestimate his value and what he could what he could have brought to Clemson. I see it at Duke. It's it's guys that come in, they're not 
they're not coming in to play for Duke or they're they're not coming in to play for Clemson. That, and if it would have been that case, they're just coming in to polish up their their skills, get ready for the NBA. Oftentimes, they they're very their de- their defense is very um, lackluster. It's they're not developed in that uh, from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. And it adds like it can add a, a dysfunctional dimension to the lineup. If you look at cases like Ben Simmons and, and some other players, Markel Fultz, another good example. Yeah, from yeah. Washington. Yeah, so I, I I tend to think for one, it's bad for Duke. It's like they're it's kind of a zero sum game in, in some cases. It's not as it's not as good. You see other teams like Villanova and, and North Carolina that have gone a little bit more with a developmental route for your players, and I think it's paying dividends for Duke. It's kind of this high volatility. High reward, you know, low kind of low floor type deal, and I don't know how much it would have helped Clemson. I'll get your thoughts there. How much would it have really helped Clemson if Zion would have committed there? I think it really would have depended on how Brownell was able to integrate him into the team. Uh, we see teams like LSU from two years ago, Washington last year, the Kentucky teams full of freshmen that struggle early on in the season, sort of pull it together late, but they rarely the. Freshman heavy teams rarely win the championship. The UNCs, the Kansases, the teams that have a good mix of a couple young phenoms and juniors and seniors that have been there and done that are the teams that are going to win the majority of the time. Um, for Clemson, I think had Zion come in, he would have been learning the def- defensive approach, and that's really the thing that you've got to buy in for this team with Brownell. He's a defensive-minded coach. Uh, Zion's an incredibly good slasher and scorer. He's a good shooter. Uh, all he doesn't shoot from three all that much. He's a heck of a rebounder. Uh, defensively, they showed uh, one of the high school games against uh, Chino Hills Chino in Spartanburg Hills. Day a couple weeks ago. Uh, I watched the game just to see what he looked like. He doesn't really try that hard on defense. He is coming back from an injury, so he's a little out of shape right now. But um, the freshman approach on defense is always going to be high energy trying to figure it out they're going to make mistakes so i think as an offensive uh, catalyst it's he would have been fantastic he would have helped us look much better on offense defensively he would have been a liability that hopefully got less and less throughout the season uh who made some spectacular blocks and and a couple of steals throughout the season that that showed the promise um but like you said that one-and-done season is really all about prep for the NBA. He's not going to be at Duke for two years, uh, and he's going to be a pro next year in the NBA. He's going to go top 10 in the pick, in the draft probably. Um, so a Clemson program, it doesn't really mesh with our style and our approach. Uh, we're all about you know family and building that community within the team and within the school, and somebody who's not in it for the long haul doesn't necessarily fit well. Right, and the, the cases of your Carmelo Anthony, and really he's one of the only cases, I mean, frankly, where he actually came in, led a team to a championship in one year, and he was surrounded. He wasn't full of, like, one-and-dones. He was surrounded by some veteran guys, yeah. you know, some good players. Yeah. But he was – I'm sorry, Zion Williamson is not Carmelo Anthony, at least not in this stage. Carmelo Anthony was way, way developed as an 18- or 19-year-old. So that that's one case, but in most cases it's a guy who comes in – he shows a little, like you said, offensive flash. He's really undeveloped, um, needing a lot of seasoning in the defensive department. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I contend that with Amir Williams, who's going to get a lot of playing time, who has who has potential, and we'll talk about him later. Yep. Uh, with some other guys, Scott Spencer, uh, David Scarra will be an upperclassman. Yep. These guys can take up those reps, and, and I'll get your 
impression on that. But I, I think also there's one other dynamic. You know, Marquise Reed is, gonna, is a really good player. He's going to be a senior. He's worked his butt off. Um, other guys are coming along. Uh, younger players will, will get in the mix. I don't. I think the whole media attention, everything going straight to Zion Williamson from the media standpoint, it really does. It does potentially create a dysfunctional dynamic. And I know you think, well, players shouldn't care, but there are egos involved. And absolutely, that, that's what I worry about. And, and once he's gone, he's gone. And like, what's left in his wake? Yeah, I think that replacement that you have to deal with uh, is tough for programs that are not super elite. You see LSU not playing that well this year. Washington's still down after having had, um, you know, the number one pick in each of the last two drafts. Those teams are not recovering well from, for replacing that, that big star player. Clemson probably would have experienced something similar. Um, and we've got a pretty strong freshman class and some young guys that are going to grow over the next couple seasons. So we might have had a little bit less of a fall off than those teams. Um, but it's, it's not something that is good for continuity within a program. Right. And there's one other narrative that you hear too, and that's landing a, a big time recruit will open up some kind of like pipeline or some pathway to other big name recruits. And I also think that's crap because frankly, because unless they are from Spartanburg Day High School or you know Spartanburg or, or Greenville, somewhere in that area, in Clemson's backyard, I don't think they're not going to the Mapa in Maryland and grabbing yeah. you know one of a national prospect. That's not happening. I don't. Yep. I don't see that gateway opening uh, for for other players in this case. I mean, I mean, was that like an excitement or like for you? Was that part of the bummer or was it just specifically for Zion Williamson? I always think that it it does help if one prospect who is that elite and that highly uh, touted is going to go to your program. Other, other people that weren't thinking about it are going to look at you differently. Uh, so I do think there's a possibility to at least elevate the recruiting, uh, but I don't think it's going to create a pipeline. It's not going to be easy going forward, right? Um, another team that is struggling with that top prospect approach this year is Missouri, right? They've got uh, Michael Porter Jr. was supposed to be the top freshman in the class. He's been hurt, but... The rest of their team is fairly weak. They're middle of the SEC, um, and you know there's not other recruits next year that are top ten that are trying to get into Missouri. There's not LSU and Washington are not flooded with recruits there. So I, I think it may take it up a level. So you're looking at slightly different uh, players if you're looking at you know guys ranked 150 instead you're looking at 125 to 100, but. It's not going to open up. Oh yeah, you get one top ten. You get a top ten every year now. Yes, yeah, so like essentially the one and done. Those top five, top ten players in each class, the, the one and dones. They're they're. It's not a repeatable strategy. Exactly. Maybe for Duke it is. Maybe for North Carolina, for the Dukes and Kentuckys. Yeah. Exactly. But everybody else, if you get one, cool. Don't yeah. expect it to happen again anytime soon. We're and I think we're better served, and we can talk about this. I think we're better served going off going after four-year players, developmental players, uh, the Dante Granthams, John Boston games. Mm-hmm. Um, Villanova has done that. If Absolutely. you look at their recruiting rankings over the last several years, they might get a top 50 player, maybe one here and there, maybe a couple of top 100 players per yep. class. You know, that's not out of the, the realm of possibility for Clemson. And I think that's more uh, more sustainable. Uh, like you talked about the family atmosphere. It's, it's more, I don't know, it's more in line with what Clemson brings. And I, yep. I, I would like to see that. Yeah, Villanova... Uh, right now has Jalen Brunson as their star player this year and Michael Bridges. Bridges is young. 
Uh, but Brunson's a junior, and he's their guard. He's their heart and soul of the team. He drives everything, right? Um, so I, I totally agree. I think the four-year prospects and three-year prospects are really the ones that we need to be focused on. Um, I think it's a good segue into what our recruiting class for next year looks like. We've got three guys committed. Um, we've got a, a small forward, a uh, power forward, and a shooting guard all committed, and they're all within that 150 to 250 uh, ranking. And they're all, two of them are from North Carolina and one from Alabama. So they're fairly local. The Alabama guy's a little bit of an oddity, but uh, it's a sustainable approach, right? We, we know that we can get guys in this range, uh, and we just have to rely on Steve Smith and the rest of our, uh, our coaches that do heavy recruiting to figure out which, which guys in that range are the right ones for Clemson. Right, and yeah, you mentioned some of the guys, um, Hunter Tyson, John Newman, Trey Jemison. And we, we both were talking offline before we got on. Uh, John Newman is your guard. He's, he's, um, he's explosive. He is one of the uh, higher ranked mm-hmm. players. Yeah. The highest one in the class at, uh, 149, I think. 140. And that's, I mean, that's, that's the kind of guys you need. And then I, I saw some highlights of, from Hunter Tyson that I watched uh, before this episode. Hard to tell a lot from any highlight film. It's always tough, but you get a sense of their athleticism. He looks a lot. I told you, he looks a lot like um, Gordon Hayward, mm-hmm. from, who now plays for the Celtics, now injured. But he's got that kind of uh, bounce to his game. Um, he looks like looks to be a pretty good spot up shooter. Yep. Um, he might outplay that three star ranking. We, we'll we'll see. But no, I'm, I agree with you there. That's more of the formula. Um, you know, another team. Speaking of that. That doesn't do one and dones. It doesn't necessarily recruit a lot of the top players. Virginia, mm-hmm. we saw them on full display under Tony Bennett. They've been one of the top five, top ten teams now for the last I don't know, handful of years. Absolutely. So we can talk about a little bit about Clemson in the last few games, but I, I we both got to watch the Virginia game um, first game without Dante Grantham. So mm-hmm. I'll let you open up. What does that injury mean for Clemson? Or tell, or and you can talk about that in the context of what we are now. Uh, yeah, to this point and, and what we what we will be going forward. Yeah, so I think Grantham losing him is is a big loss. If you're going to pick one player that was going to hurt us the most uh, to lose out of our starting five, I probably would have picked Dante because he brings a lot of sort of non box score things to the team. He's one of our senior leaders, which is huge. He and Gabe have stepped up tremendously this year, as we hoped they would. Um, to lead the team and, and give them a bit of a direction. But something else that he really brings to the table is that he's a shooter. He creates mismatches at the four because he's a big guy. He can crash the boards and, and pound down low, but he can step out and hit threes. So it creates spacing for the rest of the guys on the court. And putting in plugging in an Amir Sims or David Scara or Mark Donnell, that explosiveness and the ability to both pass and dribble and attack the rim and also hit those shots and rebound. Dante can do a little bit of everything. These guys are a little bit more uh, one-dimensional. And Amir has the potential to get to that level, but he's a freshman and he's still learning. So he makes mistakes and is slightly worse in most of those categories than Dante Dante is. He's the one that got the start in uh, Grantham's place. And I think we'll see his minutes... Uh, stay pretty high. He got 25 minutes in the Virginia game. He's been averaging 10 uh, throughout the season so far. So that's a huge jump. Um, We also saw a little bit more of Donnell, um, Clyde Trapp, Scott Spencer got some good minutes, and Malik William. I think William and uh, Trapp came in late 
when the game was already out of hand. So I don't know if those minutes are sustainable. But Spencer played a lot early, and Donnell played throughout the game. Uh, David Scarra is another one that's going to fill in that gap a little bit. So we've got to find a way to make up for a lot with Dante's loss. We've got to, the scoring is going to be the hardest thing to replace, right? He's an extremely efficient scorer. He was having a career year and was one of the top efficient scorers in the country, not just in the ACC. So replacing him with guys who shoot slightly worse and take slightly worse shots and make more turnovers, it's going to really hurt us offensively. I think that's going to be the biggest gap that we're going to have to try and figure out how we're going to fill it. Yeah, you, I think you hit it on the head. So watching the first few minutes of the Virginia game, you can see Amir Sims. And I know a lot of people, there, there were some bright spots, for, certainly. And I think he's got some things that he will develop, like his jump shot. Mm-hmm. Um, but a little bit lost on defense still. You talked about it early. Just freshman defenders, there's a learning curve. Mm-hmm. And he's still a little bit lost. He can't get off screens or if they're switching, he doesn't. He's just quick to respond. Brain and body aren't in complete sync at, at times. Absolutely. Um, and also, he's more he did, like like you said. The great thing about Grantham was kind of his doing things within the context of the offense mm-hmm. and not going out of his game. So he became like he's a very high like efficient efficient scorer. Um, also, but not taking anything away from the offense, letting it continue to be fluid. Um, Huge, huge loss. They, they had like an article in the, I think 2006, 2007, when Shane Battier played for the Houston Rockets. They called him the, the no stats all star because mm-hmm. it, you really, like you said, you can't keep track or you can't record statistically the things that a guy like Dante Grant can do. Sometimes it's the things that they take away that you'll never see, like a backdoor cut. Um, yep. You're going to see some of that volatility, some of that, that stuff with Amir Sims. But I know we can talk a little bit about him, a little bit about the showing against Virginia. Um, at least he was maybe the one bright spot. I think he had a really good showing. Uh, like you said, he started off a little rough. He made a mistake early on, got a turnover, and then uh, got blown by on defense within the first two or three possessions of the game. And you're sitting there thinking to yourself, oh, God, what have we got ourselves into? Uh, but he really cleaned it up. He had a really solid game uh, the rest of the night and showed flashes in a lot of areas. He hit some shots. He played some good defense. He is that same lengthy uh, athletic guy that he was coming into the year, obviously, but he is going to have a little bit more to shoulder going forward. He ended up with nine and six, uh, shot four away from the field and one for three from three. So those are not fantastic numbers, uh, but they're, they're functional. They're workable. Uh, He made some stupid mistakes, got some stupid fouls at times, but He's somebody that I think can contribute to this team throughout the season. Yeah, and, and particularly next year, especially not getting Zion, uh, he, he's definitely a bright spot. And absolutely, we I mean there we have a little little history or a, a history now of, of developing a few guys that become our star players, and he <laughs> could you know very well be that guy by the time he's a junior or senior. Um, so you, we talked a little bit about. Um, some of the guys, like the, the the bright spots, there were a lot more negative spots um, yeah. in that in that game, and you could start like Reed. Uh, yeah, DeVoe. well, Devoe was okay, but De- Reed and Gabe, Shelton Mitchell Gabe were was not fine. Yeah. Uh, Marquise and Shelton looked extremely timid throughout the game. Uh, I don't know if it was the ball pressure from Virginia or the way that their bigs uh, flash really hard on screens that was throwing them off, but they were floating passes. Virginia had their hands in every passing lane. They ended up with fourteen steals on the night. Uh, and we had 19 turnovers. So 
Uh, a lot of those are coming from our guards as well. So uh, the ball pressure seemed to really get to them, but neither one was driving efficiently or finding good looks for their teammates. And our offense is heavily predicated on those guys doing that. So the first half, we were able to generate some good looks, and we hit them. We were down four at halftime, and we lost the second half by 21 and lost the game by 25. So things really, our defense was fine. Virginia only scored 61 points. Defense still looked good. But when you're scoring 36 in a game, our low for the season, and Virginia's opponent's low. So they multiple guys on their team said it was the best defensive performance they'd had all year after the game. Uh, and if you go back and watch it, it really was. They were fantastic on defense, and we just couldn't figure it out. You, you hit it on the head again. So I was watching. I, I didn't know a lot about Virginia going into the game, and I'm like, wow, their defense is really good. You talk about the big guys flashing on the screens. It was textbook. It was so – we talked about fluidity of like switching, recovering. Everything they did was so looked so good. And plus they have bigger defenders on the wing. Yep. Um, and I'm like, wow, this is a really good defense. I looked at Ken Palm's rankings. They're actually number one defense. Yeah. They're giving up 81.5 points per uh, 100 possessions, which is five points better than the next best team. Yeah, and they're the, insane. And the best in the last 10 years. They are – like don't like get too discouraged, I, I think, from this outcome. By, I mean it, it wasn't great. And it shows that Clemson's got work to do if they want to make a tournament run. And, Absolutely. But uh, this is a really good Virginia team. Uh, something to aspire to uh, from a defensive standpoint. Yeah, defensive standpoint and program standpoint as well. I think we talked about that four-year uh, player approach. Tony Bennett does a great job recruiting guys who are going to stick around. Uh, I think most of the guys on the team are recruits that he brought in. Uh, Jack Salt's been there for years. He's a junior and contributing heavily. Uh, Isaiah Wilkins is a senior, potential um, defensive player of the year in the ACC this year. Uh, Devin Hall is also a senior, probably the second favorite choice for defensive player of the year in the ACC. So these are guys that have been in the program for years. They've bought in. They are all in on defense, and they have a couple guys on offense like Kyle, Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome, DeAndre Hunter, that can go and score points for them. But really... If you're holding teams to 50, you don't have to score that many points to win the game. So uh, we've seen the last couple of years they've made a bunch of deep runs. And I think last night was a really good uh, demonstration of how they've done that and how they'll continue to, to be really effective. Yeah, I, I, I like that brand about it. Well, I don't, they, they used to ugly it up and they still do ugly it up a little bit. But I just like how disciplined, how well coached they are. And it is something that we could try to replicate. I, a yeah. lot of the guys aren't so highly recruited that Clemson couldn't be in the running for them. Absolutely. Um, let's talk, you, you mentioned, so the games before this, it was, you know, at U, at UNC, we lost at NC State. We're not doing so hot on the road. Um, we don't have to talk about those games in aggregate, but anything that stood out to you, we did beat Miami and Notre Dame at home, so that mm-hmm. was some, some bright points. Um, but anything that stood out to you in those games or just in general, your feedback on, on how the team did? Yeah, the home games, we looked pretty good. Uh, we've had some sort of bipolar games where we had one half that was fantastic and a second ha- another half that was uh, really bad. Uh, the NC State game, the UNC game are examples of that. The UNC game, we lost the first half by 15, down 23-38 at, at halftime and came back to win the second half 56-49 for an eight-point loss for the game. Um, if we play like we did in the second half of that UNC game, we can beat anybody. Obviously, without Grantham, it's going to make that a lot harder. Um, the NC State game was similar, but 
a big trend that I've seen throughout the, the games we've had all season is that we struggle with big guys that can shoot. Um, the NC State game, year at seven, went for 29 points, his career high. He was five of six from three. Dude's seven feet tall. Uh, Eli Thomas and Grantham and Scara and Donnell all struggled to guard him on the perimeter. Somewhere that I think we could potentially have a little help there. Amir's a little bit more mobile than those guys. So if he's guarding the big that can shoot now, we could potentially see an improvement there. Um, but it has not looked good so far. Uh, the North Carolina game, Cam Johnson, their pit transfer, crushed us again. He was six for, six for nine from three. He got 21 points. It was a season high. Um, Notre Dame, John Mooney, guy who scores seven points a game or four points a game, went for 13. He was three of five from three. These are not fantastic players necessarily, but if our bigs can't get out and put a hand up, they're going to kill us every time. Last year, the trend was on the perimeter. There were some guys uh, in ACC play where we were just getting killed by uh, by guards, uh, and that, yeah. that had to do with like defensive inefficiencies, particularly from the new guys, the transfers. They've, they've tightened up a lot this year. I'll give them Absolutely. a lot of credit. I was really hard on them. Heck, I wrote an article in STS about them where I was just basically talking about how bad they looked on defense. They've gotten a lot better, and I'll give them a lot of credit. They put they're putting in the effort. Um, but what do you, I guess, what do you, you just contribute or attribute, um, some of the, the big defense, big guy defense to, uh, uh, just, I guess not the right, like Elijah Thomas is not going to be a great perimeter defender. No. Uh, I think part of the issue is we play a fairly conservative defensive approach. So the big guys are not generally asked to get out on the perimeter. So when there's a mismatch, uh, with a guy who can shoot the three or at least pull the, pull it out to a, a 20 footer, 18 footer. It makes it hard for guys like Eli and Mark Donnell to go out and get a hand up and still do what they're expected to do on the glass and go back and rebound and box out. Um, we, like you said, the defensive on the perim- defensive approach for the guards and the, their play on the perimeter has been greatly improved. Last year, the biggest problem was that they were pretty much a sieve and guards were running around them and Eli was getting in foul trouble because he was trying to defend people that were running at him. This year, he's able to hedge, and it's a lot better uh, for him, which is why he's been better in foul trouble, and he's playing more minutes because he's actually on the court, uh, not getting sent to the bench three minutes into the game. So I think that's helped him a lot, uh, but obviously there's room for growth still. He's still just um, in his second year of eligibility, so he's got time to grow as a player. And I think the guards are all coming back next year except for Gabe, uh, so we've got a really good chance to continue to improve over time with this team. Well, let's let's talk about the remainder of the schedule because I think in time we, we look at like next year we're kind of working with what we're what we have next year. Now, yep. now that Grantham's out and it, it was very unfortunate. So how do you I guess recalibrate your expectations for the remainder of the year? And we still are pretty well positioned for an NCAA tournament, NCAA tournament yep. berth. Um, what, what do you think for the rest of the way? Yeah, so right now we're 5-3 and three in the ACC, uh, which leaves us 10 games left to play. Ten of those, of those 10 games, uh, we play Syracuse, Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, Pitt, Wake, and Georgia Tech again. Uh, and those are all teams that are in my lower half of the mid-tier or the bottom tier of the ACC uh, from my estimation. So if of those, I think it was six games, we can win four or five. And of the other four, 
uh, we can win one or two. That's going to give us uh, 10 or 11 wins in the ACC, which is going to be plenty to get us into the tournament. Uh, the tough games are going to be uh, at Florida State, Duke at home, uh, North Carolina at home on the 30th. So we've still got some really, really tough ones coming, but this is the easier half of our schedule. So it helps that we've got lesser competition, but these are teams that are all capable of winning against anybody in the ACC with the exception of maybe Pitt. Um, So we have a chance to still end up upper half the ACC and get a decent seed in the NCAA tournament, I think. Yeah, and I mean, you'll, you'll know what this – again, the Virginia game was kind of uh, an anomaly. I would just throw it out the window a little bit. Yeah, it was a really rough one to, to start our first game, full game, without Dante. We get the best defensive team in the country by far. Yeah, and apparently a historically good defense. We'll yeah. see if that holds true. But yeah, road game against Georgia Tech. So with the Jacqueline Hyde where it's kind of been home and away – or how our performance on the road, mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see how we perform against Georgia Tech. And I know that's not a good team. Wake Forest is not necessarily a good team. Uh, yeah, FSU is probably a little bit better. Yep. Virginia Tech, Syracuse, not great teams. But if we play like we did against NC State and Virginia, then like you know that again, it's probably not going to eliminate us from tournament. Uh, the tournament, but yeah, I think I think we're pretty safe to get in the tournament. But we can definitely slip. Uh, and it's not going to bode well for a run in the tournament if we want to make any progress in, in being a tournament-performing team. So if we do well with the remaining part of the schedule, I think we probably end up at 10 or 11 wins. If we really, really, really struggle and can't pull it together with, with Dante going out, we'll probably end up at 8. Uh, I could see us losing a lot of those remaining games. It would be a big slide though. I don't expect that to happen. Um, my guess would be we end up at like 10 or 11 wins and sort of limp our way into the ACC tournament a little bit. Um, cause the last couple games are a little bit tougher than the rest of the season. And the NCAA tournament is going to be interesting. Uh, if we do end up with 10 or 11 wins, we'll probably still be a five or six seed in the tournament, the NCAA. And, Playing an 11 or a 12 seed is dangerous. That's where all the upsets come every year. Uh, but we, like Ben and I talked about on the last episode, uh, we've played a lot of the potential conference champions from some smaller conferences. So we've seen some examples of, of what those teams could look like. Uh, we could also end up with you know another middling Power 5 conference team, somebody like... Um, um, in the middle of the SEC or lower half of the Big 12, something like that, um, that has beaten one or two major teams, but has also dropped some stupid games throughout the season, uh, which is what we're going to end up looking like probably with Grant with Grantham absent. Right, and it sounds like you're optimistic of kind of the better half of that scenario of being you know a top ten seed, not falling too far back, uh, and that I guess that. That says throw the Virginia game, that outcome a little bit out the window. Yep. Who we are is probably it's not that not that different. Like our upside is probably def, what's well, definitely a little bit more limited now yep. because of Grantham's injury. But it's still a good team. Like even on defense, like you talked about against Virginia, we look good. That's just an offense that couldn't perform. Exactly, we're still a good team. Uh, we lost 
our second leading scorer, second leading rebounder, second leading block guy. Uh, I think he's third in assists. So he's a huge part of our team. But we still have players that can contribute, and our rotation is going to have to get a little bit deeper, and some guys are going to have to step up, Amir Sims being the big one. Uh, But guys like Donnell and Skara and Eli can help fill that void. So I wouldn't expect us to fall apart. We're not going to run the table and, and crush everybody, obviously, but there's still a good chance for this team to have a really strong season. Yeah, and I, and I will you know eat crow a little bit just because I was really concerned about the defense earlier in the, in, in the season, and they've been number 11 in adjusted defensive efficiency, according mm-hmm. to Ken Palm. And you can see it when you watch them. It's, um, when, well, when, you, when the freshmen come in, it looks a little bit dicey. But when like Marquis Street, Shelton Mitchell, even Elijah Thomas, these guys like they're robotic. They know exactly what to do. It looks yep. it looks fluid. It looks good. And uh, and like just coming off of screens, you can see there's a lot more effort there. So I give I give all those guys credit for playing and like defense travels. Like it'll, absolutely. I mean, well, I guess sometimes it doesn't travel for ACC road games, but um, it's it's a still a good team. Like to your point, and uh, and I'm, I think it's more of a, it's it's more enjoyable to watch Clemson basketball this year. Definitely. And even though the freshmen struggle on defense, uh, when we put in that all freshman plus Scott Spencer lineup, when it's uh, Amir Sims, Malik William, AJ Oliver, Clyde Trapp, and Scott Spencer, they're a lot of fun to watch. They're really trying hard. The guards have no idea what they're doing on defense, and they're just (laughs) running at everybody. Malik William is a little bit slow side to side, so he struggles. Amir's trying to hold down the the key and defend the paint. Uh, but it's a really fun lineup to watch and that's the future of our program. Um, so I think once they figure it out and get a little bit more experience, the next couple of years could be really fun. Right. It, it, effort is not the issue. Like those things are not always one and the same. It's definitely a, a matter of just learning, learning the system. And I, I think again, Branell, well, I think he's the guy, I, you know, with Zion Williamson, uh, not included. I think they'll be just fine. Um, just got to keep landing the Dante Granthams of the world. You guys mentioned like uh, during the last show, did you say like, were you guys predicting two of two or did you say, or two of four or did you say? I know that Ben, Ben months ago called that all four of them would be back. Uh, we all laughed at him, but he was right. Uh, I know he really just throws things at a dartboard and knows that something will stick. So we can't think of him as a prognosticator just yet. Uh, but you know, he was right on this one, so we got to give Ben a little credit. Uh, I was less optimistic. I didn't think all four would come back. I was hopeful that we'd get two, uh, maybe three. We were all pretty feeling pretty good about Mitch, I think, uh, coming into the announcements. Christian, I didn't think, was going to come back. Um, but here we are. They're all back. Yeah, well, in regards to Ben, he, got, he predicted the Hunter Renfro thing. Uh, when he was a walk-on and he converted to like uh, the, the next big thing or he got a lot of spring hype and Dabo was talking him up. Ben said this Hunter Renfro kid was kind of a joke. Well, Hunter Renfro goes on to catch like two touchdowns in the national championship that year. It's always kind of a joke, right? He just throws it out in case it sticks. Yeah. It darts against the wall, shit against the wall, whatever. It's some, whatever, things are sticking for Ben. Good, good for him. But no, I think we said earlier like two of four would be a best case scenario. Getting mm-hmm. and I thought those guys were Mitch Hyatt and Austin Bryant, and that's a best case scenario. Getting four of four, um, I, I I think it elevates uh, our expectations a bit. And and to, to be very specific on that, I think we go from striking distance of a playoff. 
And I compare that a little bit to 2015, where we were striking distance of a playoff of a national championship. Uh, we, we actually, I think we outperformed our expectations there, and we you know, outpunched our weight class in 15. I compare that now to what we were before. Now with getting 4-4, I think it's more like 2060. I think things are lying in a way that's we have to feel good about being right up there, if not at the top one or two, uh, in terms of being a national championship contender. Yeah, I mean, we're going to be top five defense at worst, probably, assuming everyone stays healthy and they do what they're supposed to do. Uh, offensively, we have a ton of firepower and some quarterback play that's coming in, and we'll see where that ends up. But we, the strong defense, same within the, in the college basketball world, right? Defense wins championships. It's true across most sports. Uh, if you can stop the other people, you have to do less on offense, and sometimes it turns into points for you. So getting uh, a solid lineman back and a bunch of defensive guys that are going to wreak havoc on every other team in, in the conference and in college football, always a good thing. Yeah, I saw Ryan Cantor. He said this defensive line will be one of the best in decades, and like that's a lot of times that's like hyperbole. I don't think it is though. In this case, I don't think it is hyperbole. I think it's I think it's accurate because you're looking at probably two first rounders and Dexter Lawrence, probably Christian Wilkins, maybe three first rounders in Cleveland Farrell next year. Um, but you're Not looking to at Austin Bryant and Austin Bryant, who could be a second or third round pick. Um, maybe he pops in the first round, you know, who knows, but it really is probably one of the best, uh, defensive lines and, and that I can remember. So yeah, just that, that makes everyone's life on the defense easy. If there's, uh, I think it, linebacker were set and the secondary were set, but even so like they're going to, they're going to enjoy playing behind that defensive line it's going to make everyone makes every job easier absolutely you mentioned a top five defense and like top uh, become if we finish fifth it'll probably be a that's like a worst case scenario. i agree yeah <laughs> it should be the top defense in the country and then on the, the flip side so getting mitch hyatt back and again i think on, on both lines of scrimmage this just balances things out so beautifully in terms of uh depth chart um bringing guys along at a slower pace so you have jackson carmen coming in at, at right tackle maybe left tackle he doesn't have to start right away. If he's good enough, he can start. But more, more than likely, he's going to add quality depth at a position where we need at tackle. Um, you have probably Tremaine Anchorman at right tackle. This allows you to move Scott Pollard, I'm sorry, Sean Pollard, uh, in to guard, which I think, and I don't know that they'll do this, but I think they, I think it would behoove them to do so because he's not a great right tackle. He's a good college tackle. You move him into guard all of a sudden, he's, he's probably an elite player. And now you're getting your best five, we'll say, on the field, and you're rotating in your best seven or eight with you know quality line and quality depth. Um, it, getting Mitch Hyatt back just meant so much because otherwise you're probably putting an anchor at left tackle. I don't know if he's that guy or you're rushing yep. Jackson Carmen exactly. along. And, and he could potentially – he might not be ready. And it's, it's better to bring them along at a slower pace. Yeah. So given that our lines are both really strong, where do you see a weakness uh, – on this team, either offense or defense, for next year? Were you less sure? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, so we can talk about quarterback later, and we'll probably talk about the quarterback all offseason. I still think there are some question marks on the offensive line, despite going through all that, that spill. Um, we will have to see how uh, John Simpson steps in and guard. We, we saw what happened in the, in the Sugar Bowl. It wasn't pretty. It, even though we were a really good offensive line, it, it turns out it takes a great offensive line to hold off, you know, guys hold off that Alabama uh, Alabama defensive line. So I'm still a little. We'll have to see how John Simpson comes along. Is he's the, just as talented as any offensive lineman on the squad or on the roster? 
But um, it, he'll he'll need to really step in, take it over for Taylor Hearn. If they move Pollard to guard, then I think we're in good shape. But if not, then you're you're looking at bringing on bringing along some younger guys like Matt Bockhorst or um, maybe Gage Stravinka. Maybe you move him and Fasnelli around between center and guard. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, I mean, anytime you bring in a new guy into the fold, there's some question marks. So altogether, I think there's quality players, but those would that's one area where I would I would say there's a question mark. Um, and then the, maybe the back seven um, on defense, Main, namely um, the secondary. It's not a it's not a question of talent. It's more depth, and particularly a cornerback. So that two of the best probably starting corners uh, are three corner rotation with Mark Fields, Trayvon Mullen, and AJ Terrell. Mm-hmm. But after that, uh, you're not really sure. Is it Lee Anthony Williams? Is it Kyler McMichael, two freshmen? I'm not sure, but. Altogether, there's you know I'm, I'm kind of having a nitpick here. You, you mentioned what's the weakness, and I've, I've talked a lot, but there's really not a huge weakness that stands out to me. It's a good problem to have, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, you, you mentioned the schedule. So, uh, what were your thoughts when the schedule came out? Uh, my gut reaction was, "Wow, that's soft." Uh, it's it's definitely not to the caliber that we've seen the last couple of years. Uh, there's not really any marquee games for us. Uh, which is unusual. Uh, the big ones are Texas A&M, Florida State, maybe if they figure it out. Um, South Carolina is always marquee, but you know, who knows how good they'll be. We don't have to deal with a ton of the tough teams in the ACC next year. Yeah, and the South Carolina's at home, NC State's at home, and even though I don't I don't think those both of those teams. Oh, NC State should take a step back. Neither of those teams will be solid top twenty-five teams. Um, FSU, I, I expect them to regress. Well, they had such a bad season last year. I mean, I'm sure they'll they'll be better, but in terms of like what they'll probably be down the road, I don't think they're there yet. I think yep. they're probably a top fifteen type ceiling right now. Yep. So yeah, what's your what you, like you said? There's no marquee game really on the schedule. It's which can be good or bad. Yeah, no no great wins, but it also can be smooth sailing the, the whole way through. Absolutely, we obviously hope that if there's no marquee games for us to win, that we won't have any big blemishes with a bad loss. Uh, with a weaker schedule, we saw it this year with with teams that did poor scheduling or had weaker schedules this year by chance they're not going to get into the playoff as easily, right? So obviously we're angling for that playoff run. We need to win the games we're supposed to win and blow out the teams we're supposed to blow out and not have any weak spots in the in the schedule because we don't have room for mistakes because we don't have any marquee wins to make up for that. Agreed. So, yeah, you, you open the season and you lose to Texas A&M, for example, uh, it's going to be tough. It'll obviously it'll matter how all the other um, teams and conferences shake out, but more than likely you're going to be on the outside looking in, and you're going to have to hope you get a few breaks here and there. So, um, but really, I mean, there's no game on the schedule, no team on the schedule that that Clemson will not be favored in, and I would I would say it's probably most games will be a double digit favorite. Yeah, I would think. Uh, another thing to point out: there's no. Uh real trap games with scheduling oddities. No Thursday or Friday games this year. No Friday the 13th this this year, which is fantastic. Um, but really, it sets up nicely for us to be able to make a run, I think. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, if 
I really don't buy into like not playing competition. Like you're not going to play Alabama. There's nothing that will get you ready for Alabama. Like playing Miami did not get us ready for Alabama. So I don't like buy, I don't buy into that. But it would be good to get a little bit more of a test throughout the season. And I say that now. I'm sure though someone will test us. But for sure, it is good to see uh, like last year to know that we had Louisville, Virginia Tech um, on the road, and you had Florida State at home, which was supposed to be a big game. You had um, Auburn early. Those were those were legitimate tests and. Um, Nothing is really glaring. Florida State on the road, probably our toughest game. And it's I would like, think it's you know it's maybe the conference championship, maybe the the last thing we have to do before getting into the playoff. But um, one last thing, we'll talk about this ad nauseum during the off season, and especially as we preview the the oncoming football season, upcoming football season. Quarterback Kelly Bryant had a great year. He or. For, he did. Given his skill set, yeah. given his talent, he, he did a great job. What do you what do you want to see in the spring in terms of Hunter Johnson, Trevor Lawrence, and, and what happens with the quarterback, how they go into it, how they how they name the starter, if they name the starter? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Dabble handles naming the starter, if he waits to the last minute or if he commits to somebody early on. I think I really want to see all of them get a fair shake and get a chance to prove themselves. So the spring game will be fun, but it's really the practice sessions that, you know, the coaches are going to see a lot more than we will. So we have to expect that the freshmen are going to give and Hunter Johnson are going to give Kelly a run for his money. They're more highly touted, a little bit different approach, pocket passers, as opposed to to Kelly being more of a run first quarterback. I think it'll be really interesting to, to see where it all shakes out and who we get. Week one. The the rap last year was that Hunter Johnson, while, while highly skilled, and Zarek Cooper with a great with great arm talent was always his his thing. They just didn't know the system well enough. So like I guess what that, that's said to me was they have the tools that are pro an upside that's better than Kelly Bryant, but they just didn't have it. They didn't Not have ready. everything down. Yeah, mm-hmm. they weren't ready. I can't imagine after a year in the system with Hunter Johnson's just God-given talent, which far exceeds Kelly Bryant. I can't imagine he's not more advanced than Kelly Bryant come this spring. So, uh, frankly, I, I don't. I don't care. I don't need them to name Hunter Johnson over Kelly Bryant. But I hope they leave it an open competition because absolutely, I agree. We need to be our best. Our best version of Clemson come December and January, not in September. Yep. And we saw that against Alabama. Yeah, I think. Uh, do, uh, question for you, I guess, would be: Do you think? Trevor Lawrence, his ability is going to be enough that despite limited time and system, he'll be able to take that job from either of those guys or both of them, I guess. I think he'll do things that Deshaun Watson did his first year, but he'll be even more um, advanced. And I think he'll, he'll come in uh, getting, getting, um, he'll get some plays in early if he's not a starter. I think he's just that talented. I mean, that's just a prediction. Um, I think he'll, he'll struggle a little bit in the spring with installation and picking up um, the offense, but ultimately he can do things um, that we've heard that some NFL quarterbacks, he can make throws that some NFL quarterbacks can't make. Yep. He can do things with his eyes, like look away safeties. And we like, it's something we can't see as fans, but it's something Kelly Bryant, it's not in his, his bag of bag of tricks. Mm-hmm. Like he, he couldn't look away at safety. He, he locks in on target. Kelly or uh, Hunter Johnson and, or I should say uh, Trevor Lawrence can do that already. So honestly, I, I don't know where, Tre- where Hunter Johnson fits into this, but I think Trevor, Trevor Lawrence is probably the guy is my prediction early. 
you think he's going to take it week one, or do you think there's a chance that we start with somebody and then go to another guy later in the season? I think I think starting out, it's going to be some type of like dual starting role. For we, we do start sort of soft, except for that Texas A&M game. We get Furman and Georgia Southern in the first three weeks of the season, uh, and then Georgia Tech and Syracuse, who certainly, obviously, we lost to Syracuse this year. Uh, definitely teams that can beat us, but you'd hope we'd be heavily favored and we'd handle them. So maybe we get to see a little bit of everybody early on. Right. And I mean, you're right about the Texas A&M game and that's, that's in college station. So coaches aren't going to, like if it were just cupcake city, the first three games, I think they would really tinker with things. Um, that might be the reason they default to Kelly Bryant, just out of confidence and knowing that at least our, our ceiling is pretty high with him. Our, or I'm sorry, our floor, our floor is yeah. pretty high mm-hmm. within. Our ceiling might be pretty low, but that might be why they, they go with the safe route. Ultimately, though, if, if we want to be Bama, if we want to be Georgia, Ohio State, I think it's got to be Trevor Lawrence. Well, we'll see how it turns out. It'll be fun to watch the competition, especially early in the year. Right, right. It'll, I think it'll be a little bit better than last year where it's like, you know, we, we had three guys that were okay young mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this year we have i think at least two two and a half guys that are, are just really stinking talented so and the game like you guys mentioned i think last time it's in san francisco the national championship so Absolutely. we really really hope that clemson makes it so we can host a party get that see you in santa clara hashtag going yeah <laughs> <laughs> i like it and and of course the, the cost of tickets won't be it won't you know you don't have to take out a loan to afford the tickets we, we can only hope yeah we can only hope well, Sam, I don't know. Any other thoughts on uh, what you're excited for in the next few days, few weeks? Uh, obviously, basketball season is still front of mind for me. Um, we've got some good games coming up. Let's see if we can get a revenge game against North Carolina on the 30th. Um, stick it to Duke. Stick it to Duke. Always a good thing. Uh, you know, as, as a Duke fan, we always want to stick it to you whenever we play Duke. Uh-huh. So you I- claim to not be a real fan, but. <laughs> you always wear your Duke shirt when we're recording. Today you've actually got Tigers gear on, yeah, which is good, uh, but it's unusual. I don't. I really don't care that much about Duke, and I, I definitely I'm pulling more for Clemson. Um, but I also don't hate Duke because hey, you know what? We have become we're right there in the same kind of stature in terms of football. And people don't hate Clemson football yet, but just wait. They oh, will. they will. Absolutely. And people are going to be like, why do people hate us? We do things the right way. You know, we graduate guys. You know, we have we have uh, high character kids. Well, Duke does the same shit, except people hate him for that. Um, you know, whatever. I, I'll, I, I just, I'm anti-hate. We'll say that. Fair enough. Okay, Sam. So before we end, I'm just going to ask all of our listeners to, if you're not already, please subscribe to us on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Please tell a friend about us. You know, we, we do this for fun, but I think a lot of people would like a Clemson podcast to, to you know, get through the work or their commute to work. Um, so please tell a friend about us. And uh, we, up to this point, we really appreciate everyone's support. Yep. We get a lot of emails, fan messages. So, you know, keep those coming. At some point, we're going to do an email bag. So if you have any questions or better yet, if you have something you'd like us to discuss or if you want a positive theory for us to discuss, we'd be happy to, to talk about that on air. Um, so that'll be coming, coming, uh, coming down the pike during the off season. So please yep. send those questions. And with that, go Tigers. <laughs>